Eagles Entertainment. Eagle Eye in the Sky is fueled by Gatorade, the official sports drink of the Philadelphia Eagles. Get everything that moves. I don't care who it is. Let's go. Give me everything you got. Play fast, play hard. Let's beat these boys tonight in their house. It's party time. It's party time. Let's go. Touchdown! You're listening to the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast. Now here's your host, Brand Duffy. That's right another week, and we are just days away from week one as the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade, continues. I'm Fran Duffy, and as always, I think we've got a great show for you here on episode number 268. At the top of this week's show, we've got Chalk Talk, where I chat with my buddy Ben Fennell about the upcoming matchup between the Philadelphia Eagles and the Washington football team. What are some of the matchups we're excited to see? What are some of the things that we made sure to include in this week's episode of Eagles Game Plan? Well, we covered it all in that discussion, and Ben and I are also going to take a look at a player who could have had, who could have a huge impact in this game against Washington? That is going to be in our scouting report segment, but that is not all because at the end of today's show, I also caught up with Eagles defensive end Vinny Curry to talk about just his development as a defensive lineman, not just here in the NFL, but also going back to his days as a college star at Marshall. Uh, we're going to talk all about his NFL career and just his development as a football player. Really fun discussion that I hope that you guys also enjoy. Uh, before we get there, there are just a couple things I want to make sure that we hit on. As a quick reminder, the best way to throw us your support is to go on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, leave us a rating, and leave us a comment. If you leave a question on there, I'll be sure to respond to it right here on this podcast. All right, I mentioned Eagles game plan, and before I get to my chat with Ben, I wanted to give just a little bit of a tease to a segment we had on this week's episode where I caught up with Eagles defensive backs coach Marquand Manuel to talk about really one of the biggest acquisitions of the offseason for the Eagles, and that's obviously cornerback Darius Big Play Slay. Here's a small bite from a segment in Eagles game plan that we call Tape Study, presented by Chickies and Pete's. Excited to talk about new Eagles cornerback Darius Slay. Before we get into the film, I'd love to just get a quick scouting report. Introduce us to Darius Slay, the multiple-time Pro Bowl corner. I'll tell you what, man, uh, awesome talent. Uh, awesome to have in the room. Uh, most of the things that you can talk about, I know you guys are able to see the way that he makes plays, his ability to cover outside, his ability to cover inside on the slot position, play zone, play man, play the football with natural instincts. Uh, but the man is incredible. That's the other side. Uh, being a joy to have in the room, you watch him, his leadership, and he takes on the role, understanding that guys like Rasheed Mathis and guys that came before him in Detroit that he played with that taught him a lot, he's now taking on that role. So it's been amazing from that standpoint, man. And it's been cool even at training camp to see him not just working with the young defensive backs, but even working with the, the young receivers off to the sideline and kind of giving them pointers and help bringing them along with all, all the youth on that side of the ball. That's been really cool to watch as well. It's been really cool, man. And, and you know, it, you always see him smiling. And it's, it's, it's examples of his play. He's always poised. You always see him, uh, the ability, he's never frantic. Anything that happens, he still has this monotone that I'm cool, calm, collect because I know I can take care of it. And that's he's trying to now add that to the team, and that, like you talked about, give as much knowledge, and he's accepted that role. Well, great conversation there with Marquand Manuel. I especially enjoyed the part where he talked about his poise, Darius Lay, as a corner. And we broke down some plays after that answer that I felt really kind of brought that to light. For that entire segment, make sure you go check out this week's version of Eagles Game Plan, which will be up on PhiladelphiaEagles.com and the Eagles mobile app. 
sometime early on Friday, hopefully around lunchtime, uh, or if you're local to the Philadelphia area, you can always check it out on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. on NBC10 Philadelphia. I will tweet that out as well from my Twitter account, at EaglesXOs. All right, talking about Eagles game plan, let's talk with the guy who is absolutely pivotal in the production of that show, Ben Fennel. Let's dive into our chat now in Chalk Talk. Let's get down to business. It's time for Chalk Talk. All right, well, joining me this week on Chalk Talk, my buddy Ben Fennel. Ben, uh, it's been a while since it's just been you and I here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, but this will now be a weekly thing where you and I will kind of talk through the Eagles matchup this week. And, you know, early in the week, I did it with uh, Greg Cosell. This week, you and I are going to talk about this matchup with Washington. And uh, obviously, you and I, we spent so much time getting fans ready for this game uh, with Eagles game plan, which you will be able to find uh, on Friday on PhiladelphiaEagles.com and the Eagles mobile app. If you live locally here in Philadelphia, you'll be able to catch it 10 a.m. on NBC 10 Philadelphia. Ben, to me, like the big thing that we focused on for uh, this matchup on both sides of the ball, it was Washington D-line versus the Eagles O-line. And then on the other side of the ball, it was, kind of Terry McLaurin and the, and the changes to that offense. Do you view the, those two as kind of like the two big theme, themes, I guess, uh, going into this matchup? Yeah, as far as on the field, obviously Washington yeah. has a lot of moving parts with their organization, new coaching staff coming in, both sides of the ball. So that's pretty exciting uh, for their prospects in the 2020 season. But, yeah, it's second year with Dwayne Haskins and Terry McLaurin and a lot of new parts on both sides of the ball. But those are definitely the, uh, the premier storylines. Yeah, no question. And to me, like, um, we'll just one of the things we'll do each week is we'll just kind of pick you and I like one matchup that we're going to be watching, like a, a one-on-one style of matchup. Um, to me, it's the big boys, and you and I have had a lot of fun watching these two guys go at it twice a year over the last handful of years, and that's Fletcher Cox going up against Brandon Scherf. And I view personally Brandon Scherf as one of the best guards in the NFL. Uh, obviously, I would say he's not quite in like that you know, the Quentin Nelson, uh, Brandon Brooks, Zach Martin echelon, but he is like a tick below those guys. Um, it's just a really fun player. He's strong. He's powerful. He's athletic. He's technically sound. Uh, we know the kind of player that Fletcher Cox is. Watching those two go at it, um, that is good on good. I'm excited to see these two guys uh, go head-to-head. And both guys have had wins against each other over the course of the last few years. Yeah, you know, I watched a lot of uh, Washington tape this morning, uh, 2017, 2018, 19. The one thing I see with Brandon Scherf is mobile violence. And you see that in a number of ways, whether it's reaching guys in short area quickness, pulling to the perimeter, or he is excellent in the screen game and working Mm -hmm. out in space. And you wouldn't think a guy built like that with that type of brute strength and size and core would be able to operate in space as well as in those phone booth battles. But he's a really interesting, complete guard that really can help out in a variety of ways. Like a lot of other guards are a little bit segmented and they have something to hang their hat on, whether it's power or mobility. He really is a pretty complete guard. And while he's not in the conversation of, you know, the Brandon Brooks or the Zach Martins, he checks a lot of the boxes and it's tough to find a, even a B plus level in any of the categories. He's a pretty solid A minus guard across the board. No question. Uh, Is there a matchup for you that uh, you feel like you want to focus a lot of your time on? 
Well, I'm pretty excited for, you know, second year Terry McLaurin and really building off that mm. dominant rookie campaign and facing off against the premier free agent acquisition and Darius Slay. They faced each other last year in a really, really interesting game between the Lions and the Washington football team. McLaurin was targeted 12 times, only five receptions for 72 yards. It was probably his worst reception percentage of the season. But it was a good battle, and they each kind of took their lumps, and that's kind of what you get, uh, you know, with premier players. I thought McLaurin was excellent in his release packages, so twitchy getting off the line of scrimmage, so twitchy at the break points. It almost caught Slay off guard, and Slay wins typically with his physicality and his route stem, that my ball attitude, really good size, really good length. You see those long arms at the catch point, at the line of scrimmage. I mean, he has 32-and-a-half-inch arms. Just for perspective, only five corners in last year's entire class had longer arms than that than Darius Slay. So mm-hmm. he's going to win with the length and the physicality. And McLaurin likes to win with the quick, quick twitch and his competitive nature at the catch point and really good battle. And I think they each kind of, uh, you know, gave props to the other person after the game, both You're in right, the locker yeah. room and on social media. Yep. It's a really fun battle. And it's just crazy. Terry McLaurin's only in his second year, a very polished receiver. Even from rep to rep, you would see like, you know, McLaren would, would get a catch or Slay would get a pass breakup and they'd get up and one guy would go to the other and like give him a pat on the back. Like it, it was a, a really fun one-on-one battle. Uh, to see, this wasn't Andre Johnson and Cortland Finnegan, Fran. You know, this right. was guys like with tremendous amount of respect for each other. And you just love seeing that premier corner, premier receiver, each making each other better and having fun competing. And that's really what, you know, NFL is all about. Let me ask you, uh, what is your thoughts on uh, Dwayne Haskins going into year two? You know, I have some mixed feelings on Dwayne Haskins. I'm just wondering what are they going to do in the offense to make his life easier? Because I thought he struggled pushing the ball down the field and in those intermediate windows. And I thought they asked a lot of him, especially targeting a guy, Terry McLaurin, who can win for himself often. But that comes at the expense of making tougher throws for quarterbacks and a lot of isolation routes. And I just like to see a lot more, you know, spoon fed offense for this team and, you know, allowing the weapons around Dwayne Haskins to do what they can do. And whether that's, you know, misdirection and things like that, confusing a defense or finding, you know, your playmakers and getting the ball into the hands of these guys, whether it's in quick game or screens. And there's some really dynamic players around him, some rookies we can cover. A guy I was really impressed with watching this tape this morning was Steven Sims. Mm. Fran, I did not see this caliber of player the past two years. Was it two years or just last I think year? It was just, I think it was uh, just last year, yeah. Just last year. He almost came out of nowhere. But watching his hit tape, the kickoff returning, the punt returning, twitchy routes, the double moves, and then all the decoy stuff. I had no idea mm. all the end arounds, the orbit motions, and they throw screens out the back door really interesting gadget player that can wear a lot of hats for them. But Dwayne Haskins, I just want to see them make his life just a little bit easier. And what type of offense is this going to be? Is it a primarily shotgun or is he going to be a under center, turn his back to the defense, get him out on the edge, you know, with some play action, or are you going to work in some more of the quarterback runs? Like we saw a little bit at Ohio state, a little bit from the previous Panthers offense. They dabbled a little bit with that in 2019's preseason with Dwayne Haskins and really, really didn't see a whole lot of it into the regular season. So a lot of, uh, you know, we saw a lot with Dwayne Haskins, a variety of schemes, a variety of styles, especially coming from the case Keenum offense into the Dwayne Haskins offense. Um, so a lot to kind of unpack there. So to me, and that was a perfect segue into my next question. And I always want to hit on with you every single week here on the show. 
you know, we, we put, like I said, we put so much time into putting the rundown together for Eagles game plan. But at the end of the day, Eagles game plan is a 30 minute show on TV that essentially is, what is it? It's like 19 minutes and 38 seconds of content, right? So uh, we have to leave a lot on the cutting room floor, even stuff that we shoot. So we might shoot 38 minutes worth of content that has to get scrubbed down to 19 minutes. And then even then there's stuff that we don't even get to shoot. That was like, man, like I really wish we could have done a segment on this. So my question for you is this, um, and I'll let you stew on a little bit. I'll give my answer first. Uh, what was the one segment in this, uh, for this matchup that you would have liked for us to get into the show that you feel is kind of important for us to talk about in this matchup? For me, it's exactly what you were just talking about with Steven Sims, um, and that's kind of that new look offense that we're going to see from Washington with all the pre-snap motion, all the orbits, all the jet action. Uh, we did see that a little bit last year, but I think with Scott Turner uh, coming over from Carolina – we're going to see a lot more of that because that was really kind of what he did in his four games calling plays uh, for the Panthers in the back end of 2019. So, you know, using uh, last year for, for him, it was Christian McCaffrey. It was Curtis Samuel, uh, a little bit of DJ Moore, but really those two kind of hybrid players here in Washington, you've got, Antonio Gibson, who was a slot receiver in a back. You've got Steven Sims. You've got J.D. McKissick. Obviously, you've got McLaren as well. You've got these dynamic talents. Um, you know, McKissick was named the starting running back. He's at the top of the depth chart coming in. But all these guys, I feel like it's going to be really interesting just to see how they're used. We, we pulled a bunch of plays um, of all the cool motions that they did with McCaffrey and Samuel. And, you know, oh, I'm going to take McCaffrey. And before the snap, he's going to be in the backfield. Then I'm going to put him in the slot. Then Samuel's going to go into the backfield. And we're going to put – McCaffrey in motion from left to right before the snap and run play action, all these different things. I think can be put into, into motion here with these four guys that we're talking about in Washington. I wish we could have stuck that a little bit more into the show. We only got one play in. I wish we could have got like three or four in. Yeah. And I think we really need to emphasize as much as second year Haskins and Terry McLaurin deserve some attention and some conversation. This is a massive changing of the guard on offense for them. So, you know, Adrian Peterson gone, Darius Geis gone, Chris Thompson gone, Jordan Reed gone, Vernon Davis gone, yeah. young, exciting receiver Kelvin Harmon, ACL tear. So be a lot of new pieces on this offense. And I really think the transition from Chris Thompson into Antonio Gibson can almost warrant an entire show for him. Yeah. Because Chris Thompson has always been one of our favorite players in the NFL. A even four, coming out of Florida the side State. of the Eagles. Like, has no always question. Been, he's been an Eagles killer throughout his career. But I watched his touch tape this morning just to get a feel for how he was used just in a snapshot the past couple of years. Tons of production in the pass game, angle routes, whip routes, double moves, screen games, a variety of screen games like we were talking with some backfield action and misdirection. And then aligning out wide as well, motioning the stack, running some route combinations with tight ends, or maybe just aligning him out wide and throwing him tunnel screens. These are all things you have to project to the usage of Antonio Gibson. And they say, well, it's a new regime, but you have to remember, they kept Randy Jordan, the running backs coach, who's been there for five, six years. There's going to be some continuity with the previous coach and the new regime, especially things that were successful. Now, Antonio Gibson almost warrants an entire show. Right. I yep. wrote down running back slot receiver. You know what I just added there, Fran, this morning? Slash tight end. Oh, because I mean, this guy. 24. I mean, he's 6'2", 230. Yeah. Who's in that similar build? I mean, we're talking a Charles Clay style of player yep. who is a productive move tight end at Tulsa and then, you know, with the Dolphins and the Bills. But he runs 4'3". No question. Yeah. And then when I put on some of his Memphis tape, he makes a lot of grabs over the middle of the field, tight end style of routes, even nice back shoulders. They line him up in line against Penn State in the bowl game and throw him a shovel pass. 
hand in the turf in the tight end position. So this is something that they envision in college, and I could see him being used in the NFL in a similar way that they use Chris Thompson. The option routes, the yards after catch opportunities, the bubbles, the screens. I'm just really excited to see how he's incorporated into the offense in combination with Bryce Love, who's now healthy and you know ready for a full role. And, uh, you know, J.D. McKissick, who for a while in the offseason was on the back end of the roster. We kind of joked and said, this kid is an electric player. There might not be a spot for him. He could be a guy that's the starter or cut. And heading into week one, he's running back one on the depth chart right now. And I know when we have studied Tampa in the past, you know, Peyton Barber has always been a guy that has stood out to you and I because of his physicality, uh, his edge as a runner. To me, like, all right, like, yeah, there's no Darius Geis. There's no Adrian Peterson. But Peyton Barber can do all of those things, uh, you know, in terms of if you don't need him to be a three down back in this offense, you need him to be an early down. You know, what do we say about Jordan Howard last year? You want him to be a tone setter early and a closer late. That's what Peyton Barber absolutely, I mean, that's him to a T, um, you know, so I, how that backfield comes together, you need the, they need those young guys to, to really come through for them. It's going to be interesting to see how they develop over the course of, of this 2020 season. Um, yeah, I think that's absolutely a huge, huge storyline going into this matchup that Eagles fans shouldn't just poo poo. Oh, they got a bunch of young guys, guys I don't recognize. Uh, it's a few playmakers there uh, in the middle of the field for that Washington offense. All right, so talked about Haskins. We talked about McLaren. Uh, we talked about a couple of these guys. Every week, I want to ask you about a favorite stat that you pull, because one of the things that you do for our talent, for, uh, for Mike Quick, for Ike Reese, for John Clark, on Eagles game plan, you go, you get sec- next level stats. And I don't even say second level, like second level, third level, fourth level. You dig deep uh, into the numbers and pull out some, some stats for our talent to be able to bring to the show. I want to ask you, about, you know, if, one stat that you feel like is kind of interesting when it pertains to this matchup, Eagles versus Washington. Well, I'll give you two stats, Fran, one for each side of the ball here. So the one for the Eagles defense is, you know, looking statistically at their, you know, team over the past two years, a very good steady defense in almost every category, run defense, third down, red zone. They just got to cut back on the explosive plays, allowing 13 TDs of 20 plus yards last year is 28th in the NFL. And that's really their worst statistical category. If they just cut back on some of those big plays, the explosive plays, the -the over-the-top plays, it's really tough to go 10, 12 plays on this Eagles defense. Mm -hmm. Playmakers at nearly every level. And that's really the one area I'd like to see them clean up. And, you know, I always say, Fran, it's a big play business. You got to create them. You got to prevent them. And that's kind of my two little points there for the Eagles. But the interesting thing moving to the Washington football team offense is what they're going to potentially bring over from the Carolina regime with Ron Rivera and Scott Turner. This was a Carolina offense that was a very diverse run game. So diverse, they actually led the NFL in trap runs last year. And that was something that Washington really held their hat on for a number of years and kind of got away from it last Mm. year. So I'm really interested to see if they bring that over with the new regime, especially against an Eagles defense, which is a one gap up the field, fly out of your stance defensive line that can struggle with trap runs. And you really want to invite them up the field and having those kind of tendency breakers, which in all accounts to traps are tendency breakers. I was going to say, take us through through a trap run. If you could just break it down for our listeners, like uh, the basics of what a trap run looks like. 
So a trap run is really trying to take the aggressive nature of a defensive line and use it against them. So rather than engaging the player directly across from you on the offensive line, you're actually going to allow that player to penetrate up the field and then have another blocker coming from that player's left or right, putting them in a trapped position. Very similar to the wham block from tight ends, also allowing defender up the field while sealing them left or right and then working the run quickly. It's always a quick hitting run because you're allowing them up, sealing them, and downhill. It's a quick hitting run, but you're just sealing them for just a second. Now, what you can do on this is, since you're not blocking the player directly in front of you, that allows your offensive lineman to release up the field, potentially getting a more advantageous matchup on smaller bodies, safeties, or linebackers. And you can often exchange that assignment on the defensive tackle for maybe somebody smaller, like a tight end or uh, maybe a backside player, and then using those resources of blockers elsewhere. So it's kind of an exchanging of assignments and a tendency breaker run. So if you have a team like the Eagles that fly up the field, you need to have trap runs against them. If they were a two-gapping team and they just sat on the line of scrimmage, the trap run really isn't going to be effective because you need that upfield penetration in order to use that against them. So to, for a visual for our listeners, okay, if you're imagining that you're watching the film from like the end zone angle behind the quarterback, okay, so look the offense's point of view, Fletcher Cox lined up on the offensive right side as a three technique, okay, so between the right guard and the right tackle. In this instance, the right guard and the right tackle they're not blocking Fletcher Cox. They are releasing immediately up to the linebacker level. And the person that is blocking Fletcher is actually the left guard. So coming from the opposite side. And by doing this, Fletcher, if he doesn't recognize it, he's flying upfield and he's going to get smacked in his ear hole by a guard coming from the opposite side. It's an easy block in theory for the guard. So a guy that's tough to block in Fletcher Cox, now it's becoming an easy block. And as Ben mentioned, you're getting those big bodies in the right guard and the right tackle now up on your linebackers. So, um, you know, it's really important for the defensive lineman for the Eagles to understand, hey, this trap run might be coming. I've got to be able to recognize, and that's something that Fletcher Cox has been so good at, recognize that that trap run is coming and really almost like squeeze the, the running lane down so that, uh, you know, that back doesn't really have anywhere to go. And it's so tough because the good offenses will set it up. And they may hit Fletch with a double team with the right guard, right tackle on one play, two plays, three plays, two series, three series. So he's getting ready to hold up that double team every snap. And then all of a sudden it's Ole and they let him go. And we've seen a number of defensive tackles literally fall right on their face because they're expecting maybe five, 600 pounds of force against them. And all of a sudden they pull the chair out from underneath them. So there's a lot of interesting things that can happen. We've seen also a number of defensive tackles let go up the field and they'll let them go right up the field and make the play on the running back before he even gets the ball or right at that mesh point because you're allowing them up the field. So a lot of interesting concepts with that trap run. It's advantageous for the offense, working angles, exchanging assignments, but it's also very risky because you're inviting that penetration. You're inviting that upfield action, uh, which can also uh, ruin your play. Uh, stick around with me here for a little bit. We've got another segment here. That's a little bit of a revamped version of our scouting report. Dim those lights. We're headed to the film room for the scouting report. 
All right, Ben. So uh, last year for, and really over the last handful of years for scouting report, I would always just kind of read my notes on a player for the opposing team when he was coming out of college and then just kind of make the kind of connect the dots, bring it back to, uh, you know, this matchup. And to me, like a guy that I feel like we could focus on, we talked in the last segment about players that we kind of left on the cutting room floor. I feel like Jimmy Moreland, the, the slot corner from Washington, is a player that not a lot of people know about, um, but this is a seventh-round pick, made the team last year, really stood out to both of us. I, I don't want to speak for you, but I know we both, from what I remember, we both liked him on film uh, at James Madison. Interested to kind of get your thoughts on how you viewed Moreland uh, coming out of college and then what we've seen from him just through one year in the NFL and what that means for this matchup. So, again, we're going to try and bring it back to what that means for Sunday. Yeah, so, you know, I first uh, was brought to his attention, Jimmy Moreland, at a James Madison University because he was a Shrine Game invite. Yep. So I dabbled to his tape, and he actually was one of the double-duty call-ups to the Senior Bowl the very right. next week because of that performance. But once you started digging into him, the only knock that you kind of see and you kind of feel was the size, which was a shade under 5'10", a shade under 180 pounds, which was undersized by most defensive back standards. But you look at his production, 44 starts experience, tons of plays on the ball, 18 interceptions at James Madison. Six of those returned for a touchdown, Crazy. 45 PBUs. This Insane. isn't just a handful in one year. This is productive, consistent every year. Not to mention just the bizarre things in special teams, seven block kicks in high school, a couple, a couple more out there in college. But they play press coverage there at James Madison, both left and right side. Absolutely plays bigger than his size. He's small frame. He doesn't have the length, but man, he is feisty. He is pesky in his jams and his route stems, his change of direction. He has that my ball approach, really good in off coverage to click and close, made a lot of plays in that off coverage near the line of scrimmage where he would attack perimeter action. I think there was a play in the senior bowl where he blew up a screen or had a huge, uh, I don't know if he made the play or he blew up a blocker or something out there mm -hmm. on the perimeter, but that was just a perfect snapshot of kind of what he is. That small, little, feisty, undersized uh, defensive back. But even considering the production, good week at the Shrine, good week at the Senior Bowl, doesn't get the invite to the scouting combine. Yep. So he just seems to, you know, be getting knocked at kind of every turn of his, uh, you know, draft cycle. But his pro day he puts up four four six. He jumps out the building, and you know you could put on any sort of power five tape you want of him. He played Maryland. He played North Carolina, NC State. Really, really productive player. Um, I compared him to Fran. My NFL styles were Ladarius Webb, okay. small, yep. speedy, undersized guy. Captain Munnerlin, also okay. a small nickel that's carved out a good 10, 12 year career. And, and Nathan Basher. He played for Ron Rivera in Carolina. Uh, Captain Munnerlin. Oh, there we go. Yeah, perfect connection there. there we go. Uh, and then Nathan Vasher, another undersized guy I played with the Bears throughout 2000s there. And you look at a snapshot 2019, 471 snaps on defense, another 150 snaps on special teams from a seventh round pick. Man, they must just be absolutely smitten for what they got in the draft in the seventh round. So uh, one of the things you talked about, like just him feeling slighted. I, I remember one of my lasting memories of the Shrine Bowl in 2019, so two Januarys ago, was media availability after practice and you know basically practice ends all the scouts kind of descend on the field the media descend on the field and it's just kind of fish in a barrel you're trying to pick players off and uh you know talk to them get you know if you want to get an interview scouts are trying to talk to them get information and jimmy Moreland every day just made plays at, at, at practice in the shrine bowl every day it was just on the ball interceptions pass breakups and after practice it was like the second or third day all these other guys are getting interviewed jimmy Moreland standing there next to i think it was like next to his agent 
he's looking around and no one's trying to talk to him. And he's like, and he just yells out. He's like, you guys aren't talking to me now. You guys are going to be talking to me soon enough. Like he's like, he just had, he has that edge to him. And to me, like, I just, I just remember laughing at the time. Just like this guy is amazing. It's hilarious. Just backs up. Cause that's the way he plays too. Um, you know, this guy was a, a Buck Buchanan award finalist uh, at the FCS level as the, uh, the, you know, the player of the year at that level of competition, high school safety, Ben. So um, yeah. you, you can kind of see where that edge comes from. All the things you said about him, I agree. I think what's really interesting going into this year, I liked Moreland a little bit more as a pure man corner. Like I just thought like he, he had all those traits as a pure man cover corner. And in this scheme with Rivera uh, and with Jack Del Rio, they are going to play I feel, a little bit more zone coverage. I didn't know if that was quite where I liked Moreland as often. I liked him more as like, hey, look, put him up in the line of scrimmage and let him go, um, you know, especially whether it was in the slot or outside. So that's going to be kind of interesting to me. And then when you look at the potential matchups here, um, you know, we've seen that the Eagles in the past, like both of Deshaun Jackson's touchdowns last year against Washington came when he was lined up inside, tight to the formation, where he could be lined up against a slot corner. Those were zone coverage concepts at the time. And that's one of the things you might see when a Deshaun Jackson gets moved inside is that's almost an automatic check sometimes for a defense or say, we're going to go zone coverage. We don't want to travel our corner inside. Um, but I think that that it could be an interesting thing to kind of follow. You know, I thought Moreland had solid speed. I didn't see him as a burner on film. Uh, and that's why, I, to me, I thought it would be a perfect fit for the slot because I didn't know if he quite had the speed to, to overcome that lack of size on the perimeter. But that would be something interesting to watch is, you know, whether, you know, if Deshaun Jackson on the inside um, with his speed or even a J.J. Ortega-Whiteside with his size on the inside against Jimmy Moreland, I think could be really interesting to watch in this matchup. Yeah, he's a really physical player and he might not have that long speed just because of his frame and not a long strider, but yep. he makes up for it with just being so physical and so feisty for his size. Mm. I think he gets away with a lot of stuff at the release point, at the catch point, at the break points where he's not afraid to tug on you, grab you, fight for that football as it's evident in all that ball production, but really fun player. And the only thing I saw was just just didn't fit my size profile, which was an easy transition for him to slide over into nickel just because of that size. But I mean, we have a nickel at that size, Nickel Roby Coleman, that's playing really well for us this summer. Or Buster Screens had a good career. Orlando Scandra, Casey Hayward's about that size. So it's been done before. And I listed a bunch of other names like Ladarius Webb and Nathan Vasher and Munnerlin. So we've seen it done. I'm not willing to count out a guy because of that size, but that was really all I was able to find on tape. No, it's a good, it's a really good point. Uh, it's going to be just an interesting matchup. And one of the reasons why too, I want to talk about Moreland kind of a, an interesting uh, parallel because this week on the journey of the draft podcast driven by AAA, uh, the two of us, we talk all about what we look for in the slot corner position. The guys that are playing on the inside, obviously where Moreland is going to see the majority of his snaps. So make sure you go, Download and subscribe to the Journey of the Draft podcast driven by AAA. That can be found wherever you get your podcast. So uh, make sure you go check that discussion out this week. Ben, thanks so much for joining us, man. Our maiden voyage here. as It's going to be a weekly event. Just kind of talking through the matchup here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast fueled by Gatorade. Great stuff from Ben, who you can follow on Twitter, just like I do, at Ben Fennel underscore NFL. And while you're at it, I'm at Eagles XOs. That's where I post all the podcasts I'm a part of and all of our X's and O's content that we produce at PhiladelphiaEagles.com. And you know how much I appreciate everybody that promotes this podcast on all forms of social media. That is one way to support the show. But the best way is to go into Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, leave us a rating, leave us a comment. I want to give a shout out to actually a great question I got on Twitter from a longtime listener of the show, and that's why I'm going to use it from 
from Twitter, and that's SC Eagles fan, uh, who hit me up on Twitter towards the end of training camp, and I told him, I said, I'm going to save this for a podcast, and here it is now. Uh, he said, appreciate all you do with the way that the defensive line is structured. Could you see a quote-unquote NASCAR package featuring Fletcher Cox, Malik Jackson, and Javon Hargrave in the middle with two defensive ends rushing the passer? Thank you. And yes, I absolutely could. And we actually talked about that this uh, earlier this week with Greg Cosell. I feel like you know if you're trying to figure out how do you get all three of those defensive tackles on the field at one time, yeah, do you have Malik Jackson, you've got Fletcher Cox. Both those guys have the ability to slide out and play defensive end. I'm, I'm sure we'll probably see that at some point. You know, We'll see some, some reps where it looks that way. But also don't forget, you know, when you have – and one team that does this a lot is Minnesota with Mike Zimmer. When they go into that uh, their pass rush package, okay, they're putting five guys out, and typically they are lighter players. You're going to have you know three or four defensive ends on the field, but you're going five across, right? We talk about like that diamond front, the five over five look. We've talked; it's been one of the more popular defensive fronts in the NFL over the course of the last couple of years. The Eagles run a, a good amount of it. If you remember that Seattle game uh, during the regular season last year, with the way they were able to break down Seattle's protections by putting Nigel Bradham up on the line of scrimmage as a fifth potential rusher sometimes most of the time he dropped out sometimes he came he had a key sack late in the game uh, off one of those looks it, at the end of the day it doesn't necessarily matter uh, who some of those players are as long as you have the threat of some of them dropping out at times and I think when you look at Guys like Fletcher Cox, guys like Malik Jackson, certainly the other defensive ends that you would put on the field, whether you know that's Derek Barnett, Brandon Graham, Josh Sweat, with those three defensive tackles, all those guys have the ability, some ability, to drop back into the flat. Remember, Fletcher Cox nearly picked off a pass in a look like that last year. So when you have those versatile skill sets, you absolutely can get creative with putting those guys out in the field and then dropping them back. And you know, with the summer that Malik Jackson has had, it's going to be tough to keep him off the field. Javon Hargrave, I, I'm really, really excited about. We know the dominant presence that Fletcher Cox can be. I'm excited to see what this Eagles defensive coaching staff can do in trying to find creative ways to get them onto the field at the same time. So thanks so much to SC Eagles fan. Great, great question. I'm glad we were able to uh, hit on that here on the show. All right, so to wrap up this episode, I told you I caught up with Eagles defensive end Vinny Curry just to talk about his development. Let's get to that interview right now. Well, joining us this week, Eagles defensive end Vinny Curry. Vinny, thanks for joining me, man. Excited to kind of talk about uh, your football career, your football life here in Philadelphia. Man, thank you. Thank you for having me, man. I'll be glad to talk about it with you guys today. Absolutely. So, uh, let's first question: How did you first make that transition to defensive lineman? Like, when did you know? Like, all right, I- I'm making the move to D lineman. That's what I'm going to be moving forward. Um. Uh. uh so, it's about uh, a coach by the name of uh, Coach Taylor moved me from uh, linebacker to D line. I think I was too tall to play linebacker. <laughs> How did you uh, when he first brought that to you? Were you excited? Were you like, man, like I, I really want to play in space? What was your first reaction? Uh, I was a, I was a sophomore. I didn't care as long as I get on the field, you know. And, and I just wanted some brownie points to say I played varsity football. <laughs> <laughs> what, did you play other sports in high school? No. Really? Just football? No, just football. Interesting. Interesting. That's why like, I like talking to guys and getting a sense of, like, other sports they played right. and if, they, if there was anything else that kind of impacted them. So you played just football. What was it that – like, when did you start playing football? Uh, I probably started playing football at, like, six years old. Gotcha. Uh, playing Pop Warner. Um it's crazy, man, because like I said, I was a linebacker uh, my my first two years of high school until like that the middle of the season in high school. I, I just I went from five seven to six four like overnight. Okay. 
Yeah, that'll do it. So when you, when you uh, did you have like immediate success in high school? Like, uh, what do you think back and say like, man, like uh, th those were. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've always been the same player. It's yeah. just that, you know, um, you, you don't see too many 6'4 inside linebackers running around. I was like, <laughs> oh, let, me just, let me just jump down. And then at the same time, I was eating everything in sight. So I was about, yeah. All right. Well, so then you go to you go to Marshall. Your last couple of years there, you had like twenty three sacks. You had a, a bunch of TFLs. Right. What was it that helped you make that next step from your sophomore year to your junior year? Like, was there something mentally? Was was it a coach? What what was it that really uh, you know kind of helped you take that next step? Well, my first two years at Marshall, you know, remember I was a I was a, a four eye. We ran a three four. Mm. So um, okay. I didn't really yeah I didn't wasn't really use a lot utilizing me on the edge. So. Um, uh, my junior year, they made a uh, coach's change, and the rest is history. So, you, you, from what I remember, Sean Cronin showed up uh, as your defensive line coach at Marshall. Uh, I worked with Sean when I was at Temple for yeah. a year for a little bit. Uh, so, what was that relationship like? Because obviously, that was he was your coach when you first made that big jump in production. Yeah. Oh man, that's my guy. Uh, he he he, the one who kind of set me down, told me that you know I had a bright future, and you know like. It's it was something special. He just he worked me. He worked me really really hard. So um, shout out to him. So you go your last couple of years at Marshall were outstanding. You go to the Senior Bowl. That was actually my first Senior Bowl. Uh, was when you were down there. I remember you having a big week. You end up being a second round pick. Yeah. And then the craziness starts, man, because you had 2012, you had Jim Washburn, you had Tommy Brazier, right? 2013, you have uh, Jerry Azanero. Yep. Then you've got Chris Wilson uh, from 2016 2017. Yep. Brenton Buckner, 2018. Then you come back, you have Philip Daniels last year, Matt Burke this year. <laughs> a bunch of D-line coaches in your career, man. All That's, different philosophies. No question. So, like, <laughs> is there something now as you sit back? And this, I feel like this season or this offseason for everybody, everybody's at home. Yeah. Was there, like, a lot of reflecting? Do you think back in your career, are there things that you kind of take from all of those guys, even though they were such different philosophically? Oh, absolutely, man. Um, one thing. One thing is you gotta you gotta expand your brain, man. You gotta be always be willing to learn. So, yeah, I try to take a little bit from uh, each each person, and, and try to utilize it to my game. Um, but you know, being nine years in, what you see is what you get. Mm. You know, you know I'm gonna go out there and, and bust my ass and play hard and put it all on the line. You know, so. I remember your your first day at the Novacare Complex uh, was the day that they were retire, announcing they were going to retire Brian Dawkins' number. Huge press conference, bunch of NFL alumni in the building. You're growing up an Eagles fan. And that, that story has been told. But my right. question is this. I was in the studio with you. Uh, you were being interviewed by Dave Spadaro. And you see, you know, Brandon Boykin gets drafted. You were all excited because you were training with Brandon all offseason. Yeah. Uh, so you were all fired up about it. Now, nine years later, is there something like if you could talk to 23-year-old Vinnie Curry – what advice would you give to 23-year-old Vinnie Curry at that point? Uh, uh, man, I think I think 23-year-old Vinnie Curry was so anxious, but at the time they had like 10 defensive ends that was here, and mm. everybody was really really good. So I would just tell him to continue to stay patient. You know, some days those were some long days, uh, my rookie year, because I was so anxious to get on the field. I was just telling him to be patient, and that your day is coming. Who were the guys that, that really helped you bring you along early on, your, your rookie year, your second year? You mentioned there were a bunch of guys already in that room. Right. Uh, who were the guys that really helped you along? Oh, man. Oh, man, we had a great group. Uh, Trent Cole, Daryl Tatt, um, 
the list, uh, uh, Cullen Jenkins, mm. uh, Mike P, the list go on and on. Uh, one thing, uh, me and Flesh was, uh, and, and BG had a, a, a chance to be around some a great, great group, and, and, and that was really helped me, you know what I'm saying, become a professional, understand how practice is going, understand, you know, you go full, uh, full out, max effort in every game, because those guys, if you watch them, they didn't take a playoff. And that's what that's what's crazy to me is like even just looking at you three guys like I mentioned all those coaches, both the guys you're in that room with did the same exact thing. Like, yeah. do you guys ever talk about that at all? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, all, we always talk about that. We always talk about that. Um, it's just crazy, man, because it's like you know we have a group text and you know it's just crazy, man. Yeah, we 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 don't seen it all, man, and and we still gelling. So that's the great thing about this uh, business is like. That it is a business and ain't nothing promised and don't nothing last forever. So we just got to keep our head down, bring our hard hat and our pal to work every single day. So I know you work with a lot of young players that come through, right? Young defensive ends, young defensive tackles. Is there something that you kind of give to them? You know, it's about playing the position, maybe an aspect about uh, playing defensive end that fans on the outside, media on the outside don't necessarily talk about, but right. you feel is really, really important to pass on to those young guys? Oh, definitely. Patience, man. You know, you might you might be the guy at college and so used to a certain way and you come in here thinking you hot shit, man. That's the fastest way to get bounced out this league, man. You got to be patient and understand, you know. Um, sometimes it's better to be silent and listen, you know. Um, that's the, that's to be my, my advice to these young, young guys, man, because it's a different era. It's, it's a different it's a different time. You know, um, nowadays the coach is not as hard on the players <laughs> as they was nine years ago. <laughs> and let me just say, you know, um, you can't feel entitled, man. Uh, every, everything is is earned. So just be patient, understand, and work hard. So the, the last uh, couple things I want to hit on, hit you on with is you talked about playing as a, a four-eye technique in, early in college. You did a little bit of that here in Philadelphia as well under Bill Davis and Jerry Azanaro. When you have to make that slide inside, yeah. talk to fans. When you say a four-eye technique, you're lining up right over the, the inside shoulder of the offensive tackle. How is that different than playing as like a seven technique outside the tight end? What are the differences uh, in terms of you know playing those two positions? Man, so you missed the part. You got to understand, when I was at Marshall playing four-eye, Jerry Azanero was the coach. <laughs> That's right. I forgot about that connection. That's right. Yeah, but uh, like I said, man, the four eye you got to be almost two ninety. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? You talk about a a twenty year old, nineteen year old Vinny Curry was about two forty. <laughs> <laughs> what was the heaviest you ever? What was the heaviest you ever got? Uh, my third year in the league, I think that was I got up to like two eighty eight, bro, and yep. I, and I was like, bro, come on, <laughs> that's man. not for that's not for come me. On, man. <laughs> I said, Chip, come on, man. Let's just be realistic, man. And he was like, all right, all right, all right, I got you. And then he let me he let me get back down to my regular size and, um, you know, had a, a, a good few seasons with, well, under that staff. So, you know what I mean? But uh, that four-hour, man, shout-out to everybody that's, that's playing that. <laughs> Y'all can have that. It's a different world. Uh, well, Vinny, really, really appreciate you. Thanks so much for joining us. Man, so thank you for having me, man. Thanks so much to Vinny Curry and all of you out there for your continued support of this show and all the rest of our podcast offerings on PhiladelphiaEagles.com. All that being said, I think that'll do it. Another show in the books here on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast fueled by Gatorade. For everybody here at the Novacare Complex, I'm Fran Duffy. We will talk to you next week.